Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mayhem in Manchester, a city stumble and United discover Oli time. It's been a bumper midweek of Premier League action featuring comebacks, goals galore and even more drama at the top of the table. So there's much to talk about in another edition of the Gagan Pod. David Weiner with you once again, joined by Richard Bayless, who's back with a bang for a second week in a row. How are you, mate? I'm well. Thanks, Dave. How are you? Very good. Well, six games of Premier League makes a big difference to your morning. It's been a great start. Well, I mean, yeah, Premier League's one thing, but I think we're all hanging out for Leeds Norwich at the weekend, mate. That's uh, that's the big ticket item, in my opinion. Yeah, right. Well, just by chance, then we're keeping the Leeds quota up in this office, as you demand, of course, as a Leeds supporter. So it's a wonderful welcome once again to Paul Ocon. Welcome back. Thanks, mate. And we're, we're we're we've replaced our other token Leeds United brigade this week. Michael Bridges, where's he this week, Rich? Well, he's actually preparing for Leeds Norwich. He's in the UK at the moment. He was at Arsenal Cardiff this morning, checking that one out, a good win for the Gunners. Uh, and he, would you believe this, Paolo? He is actually going to be in the executive director's box at Ellen Road for that Norwich game. He's a big dog there, isn't he? He is. Um, he will be a waiter during the game. <laughs> he will be serving the directors their uh, beverages. He doesn't want to uh, say it, but... Um, Good luck with that, Bridgie. Make sure you don't drop and spill any drinks. You're not <laughs> implying that might replicate a role he had during his career, are you? No, no. It's, look, uh, um, Bridgie's a big star for Leeds United and uh, hopefully uh, they welcome him with open arms there on the road. <laughs> they love him. They absolutely love him. Uh, why not? And we adore him too here at Optusport. We miss him while he's having his, uh, his great large up over there in the UK. Luke Wilkes is back. Welcome back. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. And thanks for me again. Absolute pleasure. Big week for you and your Wollongong Wolves as preseason continues, I believe. Yeah, we got a good 15 minutes of football on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> due to obviously thunderstorms and lightning, they called it off. But it was a, it was a good 15 minutes. We're up 1-0, so I'll take that. So the brilliant tactician you are, you actually set your stall up to make sure you hit the ground running and off you go after 15 minutes with the points in the bag. Yeah, look, my uh, team talked beforehand. We obviously saw the thunderstorms were coming. So I told them, get out there, get a quick early goal and we'll pack up and go home. <laughs> what is the rule around that? I've actually played in a sport where at halftime, if you are ahead, you get the points. And I... This is no joke. I looked up and I went, guys, a massive storm's coming. We got, it was actually, it was, it was touch football. I said, we've got to score a try here because we're going to get the points right now. Half time, the heavens open. We've gone out with a one point lead and taken the points to the back. Echoes of that team talk for you? Yeah, happy day. So this was a friendly, so there was no points on offer. <laughs> Very good. Well, the invention of, uh, what do you call that? Is that, is that Big Bash style NPL? NPL one football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Guys, on to more precedent matters. This morning was a massive morning of Premier League where Manchester City, they scored 26 seconds in against Newcastle United and you think their job done. How many are they going to score? Luke, you sat and watched it with us. Stunning turnaround from Newcastle United. Yeah, it was. And I think, as you say, that early goal with Manchester City, I think everyone thinks that it's going to end up a cricket score. Um, but credit to Newcastle, they they kept going. They had, they had some fantastic tactics. They, they had that desire and that passion. I think Manchester City just weren't at the races today. Maybe that early goal 
made him feel a little bit too comfortable and thought it was going to just be a walk in the park and and a, and a hide him. But look, Newcastle were there and they they showed their heart and desire and some great tactics by by no, none other than Rafa. Uh, to turn up and get the upset. Yeah, the double agent, Roy Hodgson, Rich, and Rafa Benitez have now done a job over um, Manchester City for Liverpool. How big is this result in the context? Remembering, of course, as a disclaimer, that we're recording on a Wednesday, so you might listen to this after Liverpool's result on Thursday morning on Optusport. Yeah, I'm waiting for Kenny Dalgleish to come in, take a job <laughs> somewhere and continue that uh, old boys club taking points off City. But, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens here because you would imagine Liverpool would beat Leicester at home. They're very good at home, obviously, Liverpool and Leicester. You just don't know what you'll get with them. But City have come from further back in the past. Remember 11-12, they were eight points behind United later in the season. But for me, it's going to come down to momentum and motivation because Liverpool will never get a better opportunity potentially to win the Premier League. And City, they've done it before. How many hits does City need before they kind of concede that this isn't their season? Obviously, they weren't at their best against Newcastle. They started well 26 seconds in, but Newcastle just found a way. They battled hard. And once it turned into a bit of a battle, City just didn't seem to have that same kind of desire. And you know, that second goal in particular, Fernandinho giving away the penalty. Not great from his perspective. Arguably their best player since uh, De Bruyne has been injured the majority of the season. But you just wonder if Liverpool open up that gap and stretch it to seven, do City have it in them and that motivation to go back to back to actually catch them? You almost feel in a way that Pep Guardiola is trying to force and up that ante. He was one of the managers that picked big teams in cup action almost to uh, a signal of intent to Liverpool and actually to say, we're right in this. I'm trying to keep the momentum going. They scored 28 goals across you know, cup competition. But even he said before this game that he thought they might have to win every single game to peg Liverpool back. So this is not a great first effort after that. But we must pay tribute to Newcastle United, this is arguably as big a result for them as it is a bad result for Manchester City. Well, it does because, uh, you know, if you sort of analyse it uh, um, before the game, I don't think many of us would have uh, believed that Newcastle could uh, could get all three points. And, and the fact that they go down a goal after uh, 26 seconds only highlights how big these three points are. And I actually think it, uh, um, it'll save them. It'll give them a lot of confidence. Um, and in Rafa Benitez, they have a coach that uh, tactically is one of the best, um, and he's had some great results against top si- top six sides in the in the Premiership. Now it's a it's a question of them uh, when they go to places and and there's a little bit of expectation where maybe their favourites to win how they how they deal with that. Go back twelve months as well. Remember Newcastle were having a, an ordinary season, then once the January transfer window got out of the way, they finished top half essentially right on the bubble there of the top half. And you'd like to think that maybe once this transfer window is out of the way, they'll do something similar because for a club like United that don't really seem to spend much money and, you know, obviously with Mike Ashley, is he selling, is he not selling? The window tends to be a bit of a distraction. But when it comes down to it, they're a better football club than what they actually show on the pitch most of the time. So get rid of the distractions. They might, again, finish close to that top half. That's so key because... You look at Rafa Benitez, who there was talk going into this game, will he just give up if he doesn't get any funds? And that, you talk about that distraction, almost be like, I'm going to cut my losses and, and get out of this joint because I'm not getting the backing. He is getting a Miguel Almiron, a left back from MLS side, Atlanta United, who is their actually record signing, which is breaks the mark that Michael Owen set 12, 13 years ago, which tells you all you need to know in that sense. But there's the thing about Rafa Benitez and what an extraordinary job he's doing punching overs at Newcastle. Since he's been there, they've beaten Chelsea, City, United, Spurs, Arsenal. If you're a Newcastle fan, on one hand, that's brilliant. 
On the other hand, you've just got to think, what could this be? Yeah, 100%. I think that's frustrating. I think, um, obviously, enjoy those moments, those very few and far between moments of beating a top six team. However, you look at the table and you say, well, if we can beat these teams, why aren't we further up? And, and why we can't produce those kind of performances against the lesser teams? And if they could get that consistency, then, then yeah, they would be in the top half and, and be up there challenging. But, look, it's um, one thing to go out there and, and have a one-off game, whether you're catching one of these top six teams in a bad day and you're having a good one. But to play regularly, consistently well, that's another question. They reckon Rafa Benitez had a £6 million shackle clause that he had to buy his way out uh, of Newcastle United up until a couple of weeks back. But that's expired. So hopefully this result, Newcastle fans were hoping, inspires him to kick on, stick around, try to produce another miracle like last season. And you know what? If he decides he wants to cut his losses there, you can't imagine he'll have a shortage of offers coming his way, given the job he's done there. So that puts Liverpool four points clear with a game to come against Leicester, as I said, Thursday morning on Optus Sport. If you're listening to us, before that game but it was mayhem within the Manchester clubs as I mentioned and it's Oli time Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has gone into the Fergie playbook of late comebacks Paul Pogba Victor Lindelof with the heroics this tells you another string to the bow for Manchester United they've got not just pace and energy back in abundance but character and uh, resolve as well. Yeah, it certainly does. Going 2-0 down, it didn't look good. And uh, having a look at the game, I was was wondering when he was going to substitute himself on. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, look, they showed that character to go behind too, uh, to come back. And that's something they haven't had to do since he's taken over. So it shows that the team's there. They've got character, they've got fight. Um, and they were able to fight for those points for for the coach. Winning seven in a row would have been a record for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. To be fair, this keeping that record intact is still just as impressive. Now, that, have they got the run on Tottenham, Chelsea and Arsenal in terms of that top four spot? Where do you place them in terms of the favouritism with momentum going into the, the rest of the season? Yeah, look, I think momentum plays a big part um, and, and certainly they have that at the moment. Um, they're still undefeated. Uh, and if you listen to uh, you know the talk coming out of Old Trafford is that the players are extremely happy right now and... Uh, you know, you, you can't underestimate uh, what that gives uh, the big teams because there's so many uh, world-class players all fighting uh, for positions and you can have a lot of uh, happy players as well as unhappy players, the players that aren't playing. So I think uh, one big thing for a, a manager uh, of those big clubs is to try and keep the harmony. And, and if you look at the performances of Man United and the results, it does look like a happy camp. So I, I think the momentum is, is with Man United. So if momentum is everything and they do make that top four, what more then can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do? Surely if they make the top four from the position he brought them from, it'd be a harder call not to give him the job. You'd also have to compare him to the other options. And if Pochettino turns around and says he's not going anywhere, or if he goes to Real Madrid, of course, and he's not that option to go to Old Trafford, who realistically could come in? You know, they would have gone for Zidane if they really wanted him, so you wouldn't think he's a a likely option. Simeone doesn't bring the type of football that United will crave for. And then you look at someone like maybe Allegri, who might be bored where he is. He might want to come into a club like United for a change of pace. But... You know, unless there's a standout candidate, which there really isn't across the board at the moment, how can you not give it to Solskjaer? If they finish fifth or sixth, though, it could be slightly different because, as you say, Dave, that's what he came in to do. And even though he said this week that that doesn't really excite him, ultimately that'll be a good season from where they were when he came in. But in saying that, Rich, if you look at going in, bringing in uh, a reputable manager, a top manager like they did with Mourinho, does that mean you're going to get success? You look at Mourinho coming in and he couldn't keep that harmony within the team. They've got a fantastic squad. 
but Solskjaer can get that harmony and, and the best out of those players. So why would you want to change it? Exactly. And you look at what has been missing from United since Fergie left, this so-called United way. And I even heard an anecdote that Solskjaer was showing the players videos of goals from back in his day and Rooney and Ronaldo. And whilst it seems an intangible, it might just bring something that was missing. And a lot of people were talking about, it's great that he's got a happy dressing room, but what about his tactics? So you can only... That's why you frame it as what more tests can he pass? So he's passed against Tottenham. Arsenal was the FA Cup. I suppose is at Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League that is the ultimate litmus test. Yeah, potentially without Neymar as well, which makes it slightly easier, of course. I think you've got also got to give a word to Sean Dyche and Burnley because three years now in the Premier League, yeah, they have not out. lost to Manchester United. So you talk about momentum. Burnley all of a sudden were in the bottom three. They were looking doomed after you know m- making top seven last year, which is great. They've gone to Old Trafford. They've got another point. And I wonder, boys, with Chris Wood on the score sheet at Old Trafford, has a Kiwi ever scored there before? Sure. Is that a leading question? I have no idea what the answer is. I mean, I assume, we should have had Shane Smeltz on this week. He would have. I assume Denny Hay didn't score for Leeds at Old Trafford, but you know, maybe Winston Reid may have, or, or Ryan Nelson, dare I say, uh, might have got one. But uh, yeah, it's a good trivia question. Maybe someone out there needs to uh, tweet in. And it was a classic Burnley goal. Really, really good stuff there. Um, just to finish off on the morning, um, Aaron Moy was back in action off the bench. Would have been interesting if Australia was in a semi-final uh, of the Asian Cup, but their side went down. 1-0 to Everton, dire straits for Huddersfield. Uh, Wolves with regulation win over West, Fa- West Ham, we've had a shocking week. But guys, Fulham came back from 2-0 down against Brighton and Hove Albion. Matty Ryan was back in goals. This was epic stuff this morning for Claudio Ranieri's men. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a fantastic game. Uh, to go down early 2-0 at home, it didn't look good at halftime. And, and I don't know what he said to them at halftime, but it definitely... Offered them pizza, McDonald's, I don't know what yeah, his latest trick is. Mitrovic, but, but no, look, it was, it was a few fantastic goals. I think Mitrovic up front for Fulham was, was really the, the driving force behind it with a couple of great goals. Yeah, for Matty Ryan coming back to the Premier League and conceding four goals, I guess it's not a, not a welcome back to England. He did make a couple of decent saves, but that was a chaotic second half. Um, it looks like... look. If you had to bet, you'd probably say the bottom three will probably stay as is. But, Paul, does this give Fulham probably the biggest indication that they're the more, most likely to possibly survive if anyone can? Well, look, I don't think one result's going to define, um, you know, their season. But, you know, certainly that'll give them a lot of confidence. Um, I just think they've conceded far too many goals this season, 53. And whilst you, you need someone to stand up and score goals, which they do have in, uh, in Mitrovic, uh, but if you're going to uh, get out of that bottom three, they're going to have to stop conceding goals. And I, and I think uh, in Ranieri, uh, Italian coach who's more of a – got a defensive mindset, I think hopefully he can, uh, you know, he can stop the leaking of, uh, of so many goals. He'd love that, but I think you're probably looking at a climax of 4-2, 3-1, 5-2, 4-5 and just hope that you score more than the other joint does. So if you listen to us on the way home on Wednesday afternoon, of course, remember Thursday morning, set your alarms because you've got Bournemouth against Chelsea and Southampton against Crystal Palace kicking off at 6.45am on Optus Sport. And then Liverpool versus Leicester will Jurgen Klopp's side hold their end of the title race bargain. And Spurs against Watford. We'll touch on Spurs a little bit later, but a big match for them to rediscover their momentum going forward. So the feast continues on Optus Sport. Gents, we're going to continue with a game that we normally play every week. Finish this sentence. Uh, We'll cover a range of topics across the scope of the Premier League. Uh, We'll start with you, Rich. Um, Arsenal need Ivan Perisic because... (sighs) 
I don't think they do necessarily. But they need a signing, I would think, maybe to lift some spirits, although they've got a run of results happening at the moment. I think as we spoke about last week, Arsenal are looking at their summer as a more of a big rebuild rather than a let's get a couple of players in and get a quick, quick turnaround. I think they're relatively confident that they don't need to win anything this season. I think in terms of Perisic... He had a really good World Cup. He's been linked with Manchester United for a long time. I think he's just slightly over the hill, though. Uh, speaking to a few Inter Milan fa- fa- fans, fans of Fight. late, uh, including my hairdresser, we always talk about Inter the whole time. Um, he's a, he's a legend from Milan, and we always talk about Inter. and And he, his feeling is that you know Perisic has, has lost that pace now. He's not an out and out winger. He doesn't have the same devastating effect. Admittedly, playing under Spalletti hasn't been great for many players at San Siro, but. I'm not too sure Perisic is an Arsenal player. He's a squad player, maybe. He'd be solid, but I just don't think Arsenal need him. Well, 29 years old, £34 million into one a guarantee of a purchase in the summer. It is a lot of money. He's laughing. Um, Paolo, I mean, they called him Ivan the Terrible for Croatia, Ivan the Grumpy now for Inter, and Ivan the Sellable. That's what the, ga- the Gazette in Italy are calling him because of exactly what Rich said, that he probably is a good sale for Inter. But this morning we saw Alex Awobi put a lovely ball into the box from his position out wide for Saeed Kalesinac. He's a lively player himself. Is a winger what Arsenal need right now? Or is, or is this like another sort of how many cooks? What does this do for, say, Ozil Mkhitaryan in, in that whole mix-up of players up front? Yeah, look, I can only think that it's... Uh um, to add uh, some depth to the squad. Um, and if it's at a good price, I, I still think he has something to offer. We, we saw that at the World Cup and, uh, you know, this season hasn't been great uh, for him. But I wonder if that's a little bit to do with the fact that maybe he did want that move to Man United, which eventually didn't come off. And sometimes players play tricky games <laughs> uh, when they want to leave a club. And uh, it sounds like... Uh, um, from reading uh, La Gazzetta that he's made it quite clear uh, to Inter Milan that he doesn't want to play for them anymore. I think it would be disappointing if at the end of his career he never plays in the Premier mm. League because he really wants to play there, which is great to hear. And he's admittedly trying to engineer a move, which is always uh, interesting. But, you know, he is a really good player, let's face it. Great World Cup. He's had a great career. And he wants to play in England. So it will be nice for him to get there at some point. Although yeah. it would be, be an ageing combination of Lichsteiner with a Perisic down the right flank if that ever does happen. <laughs> I was going to say, even though he's over the hill at 29 years old. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Stitch up. Um, Luke, if I come to you on the next one, Maurizio Sarri has signed Gonzalo Higuain. He made his debut in the FA Cup on the weekend. He is likely to play Thursday morning. He signed him to save his Chelsea career, some think. If you had to sign a striker to put your managerial career on the line for it, who would it be? Well, look, uh, we're going to go past another than someone like Messi. (laughs) Get me out of the stitch. No, look, it um, definitely wouldn't be an Aussie striker, put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Would you find one? (laughs) I'll be looking high and low, but but not at the moment. (laughs) Like Sasquatch. (laughs) Paul, um, you've seen a fair bit of Iguain, I imagine, in in the Syria. Um, Is uh, is this Surrey's last hope? Is this something that can bail Surrey out? Is he going to make it? Because this hasn't been his best season uh, in, in the Syria anyway coming into this. Look, I just I, I find it so strange this uh, pressure on Sadi and this criticism. Um, if he was at any other club in the world, uh, he'd be receiving all the plaudits. He came in four weeks before the start of the season, was only given money to buy one player, brought in one new player, uh, and he's still in all four competitions along with Pep Guardiola. So, 
I just find it so hard to get my he- my head around that 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 maybe there is that uh, talk that uh, um, you know if Chelsea don't win something or uh, don't win the league, um, is he going to be out of a job? Um, but I, I I do think that uh, it makes sense him signing Higuain. He he needs goals. That's what they've been missing. Someone up front that can score goals. Higuain has done that for Sari. He's He's done it all, all uh, throughout his career, um, but they don't have much time. So I think that's the reason why he's bringing in someone who he actually knows what he's going to get. I've mentioned it before on this show earlier in the season. I, I do have a suspicion Sari is a victim of that English media, their thirst to create that that storm. You know, we saw in Pep Guardiola's first season how quick they were to rewrite the rule book about his career and I think the same thing probably without the um, the brownie points up his sleeve that Pep does have I think praise when that winning streak was going on and it turns very quickly and, and the same thing happened to Emery uh, and the same thing the same thing will happen to Solskjaer in a couple of weeks the same thing's happening to Pochettino right now I think Sarri has to ride this wave and quickly here's a hypothetical though if Chelsea do not win a trophy before the end of next season is there any way Sarri can continue in that club no no, he'll be gone. At that level at, at Chelsea, they expect trophies. And for sure, okay, one year you could say, like you say, that given the circumstances that he's, he's coming under. Um, but now when he's given money to to bring in someone like Higuain going forward, I think he'll, he'll be expected to bring home trophies. Big pressure, big stakes. Chelsea has that environment for every manager. Rich, we, you touched on it before briefly, but the news out of Paris Saint-Germain is Neymar, well, not only might he be out till the end of March, but... He is considering undergoing shoulder surgery for the injury he he went off sobbing for on the weekend. So the question is, if Neymar is out until the end of March, PSGR. Good. Ah. Not great. Good. They're probably good enough, to be honest, to win in France. Let's uh, let's put that out there. I don't think they'll not win Ligue 1 as a result of this one. But obviously with a resurgent Manchester United uh, in the gun when it comes to the round of 16 in the Champions League, that will be a big blow, if not merely for the confidence that United would get, certainly defensively, not having to deal with uh, Neymar and all his trickery on and off the ball, of course. So... Yeah, they're vulnerable. They're certainly vulnerable. And you consider their front three is is what we know them for. They're so top-heavy. They're so attacking. You know, at times you look at their defence and midfield and think maybe they're a little bit weak. Although I personally think in the group stage their midfield was actually quite good in the Champions League. But yeah, they're, they're vulnerable. And United fans would be looking at that and absolutely rubbing their hands together. Tasty matchup, And we'll deal with that at length in the next coming weeks. And we cannot wait for the Champions League to return on Optus Sport. Next one. €300,000 a week for 21-year-old Frankie de Jong is... He's struggling, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a lovely story besides the fact that he continues the great tradition of, great, of promising Dutch players moving from Ajax to Barcelona. But his girlfriend posted a, a beautiful um, Instagram post the other day. Three years ago, you were a fan. Now you'll play at the club of your dreams. Do you remember what it was like when you made that, you know, that <laughs> you're shaking your, listen, I'm not trying to show up your age. It but was do, for do, $300, <laughs> 300,000 euros. Look, it's, it's a lot of money for a young player. And, and I think he's, uh, you know, he's a big talent. But uh, what I find hard to believe is that Barcelona is renowned for its academy. And they don't have a young player within their academy that they could bring into the first team. Um, I mean, I'm not criticising, you know, the move. Uh, as a, Again, I just think uh, um, it's a lot of money uh, spent uh, uh, on one player, um, whereas I think Barcelona need to spend uh, in other positions. And uh, 
um, that money could have been used uh, to do that. I wonder if Philip Coutinho had worked out as they'd hoped in a midfield role, would they be spending this kind of money? Or is it that when the best player on the planet, best young player on the planet comes up for grabs, they have to get him in that arms race? Look, uh, there, there's rumours that Man City were also uh, uh, had come in for mm. him. So, um, you know, once other clubs start to uh, to jump in the bidding, then obviously the, the price can, uh, can escalate. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a big talent, but... Geez, uh, it's a lot of money on uh, on one player. Has there been a shift in Spain at the big clubs in regards to signing really young players? Because it feels like they wouldn't have done this. I mean, he's twenty one. He's not the youngest out there, but it's pretty young. Let's be honest. You know, it seems like a while ago they mightn't have done this. But even Real Madrid, they've signed teenagers in the last sort of twelve eighteen months. Uh, Vinicius Junior is a good example. Have they maybe changed their approach a little bit? Because those clubs, you just think, how how on earth at twenty one could you end up there? Yeah, look, it's. Uh um, again, he, he, he's doing fantastically well. Um, it's one of the biggest young talents, but it's not one of these big. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Name signings um, that you probably expected. Uh, and it's in a position where, um, you know, Barcelona are, are quite strong with Busquets, Rakitic, um, they have uh, probably thought about uh, replacing Iniesta um, and he looks like uh, this type of player. It's interesting they say, and you, I don't know what you believe, what you read, but that um, in the negotiations, Barca showed him WhatsApps from Neymar because PSG were also in the race and they showed him WhatsApps from Neymar saying how unhappy he is at Barcelona, at Paris Saint-Germain and how much he wants to come back to Barcelona and said, hey, this is where you've got to come. You don't want to go to PSG either. But De Jong said afterwards that he actually doesn't feel pressure from this. He feels peace because he is touted as one of the world's hottest talents. And he said, I hope they now concentrate on, on De Ligt now because that his partner in crime who uh, is the next big cab off the rank in world football. If it works for him at Barcelona, because he's been great for Holland and obviously for Ajax as well, but him and Artur could be an unbelievable partnership for a long, long period of time. Moving on to the next one, a player who graced Barcelona's stage for so long, and now he's at Paris Saint-Germain, so the same two clubs. Danny Alves is now the only player in PSG's history to play every position, and I'm talking from goalkeeper, across midfield, across defence, up front. Does that remind you of who is the most versatile player or freakish talent that you had the pleasure of playing with in your career? Oh, I don't know about that one. He's look, it's it's phenomenal that you can play in so many different positions. Uh, when you're saying that, I just I just got a flashback to when I played as a as a number ten for Australia or <laughs> the UAE, uh, but I was only for half a game and then I was back to right back. I don't know why <laughs> tactical decision. <laughs> but no, look, that's phenomenal. And I mean, especially at the age that he's at, to be able to still play at that level um, in so many different positions you know for 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 a coach for a manager you know you, you need those kind of players because and the thing is the, the crazy thing is or the good crazy thing about Danny Alves is that he can play well in any one of those positions and do a job at that level so look I think it's it's phenomenal and he must have a trophy cabinet I, th- I 
could be standard to be corrected, but I think he's got the most prolific trophy cabinet currently in world football based on his time with Juve, Barca, Brazil, and now at PSG. So he can do what he wants on the field, and he pretty much has for the best part of the last decade and a bit. Now, I've had the pleasure the other day, I watched uh, the Sir Bobby Robson documentary. It was it was actually a phenomenal watch, and uh, I must say in 90 minutes, I was quite moved with just actually a, a reminder of just how incredible his career was. And just what an influence he's had on the modern game. People talk about Johan Cruyff and, and the influence he's had on the current generation, but to see guys like Mourinho, uh, Guardiola, Shearer, uh, Ronaldo, all waxing lyrical about him. It's a great watch if you haven't seen it. Um, which brings me to ask you, uh, what is the best football documentary you've seen in your time? Um, well, I suppose the, the Damned United is technically not a documentary, so I can't choose that one. I'll say uh, Next Goal Wins. Uh, I really enjoyed the American Samoa one about them searching for their first ever win. But I watched the, the Bobby Robson one just a couple of weeks ago, and I agree with you. It's fantastic. He, My, my favourite part of it was where Jose Mourinho uh, mentions about Ronaldo. The best, the best Ronaldo. Even when he's doing a documentary, being interviewed for his old mate Bobby Robson, he has to have a dig at Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo. I thought it was fantastic. But how good is the old vision? Like I must admit, I haven't seen a lot of the vision of Mourinho with his dorky hat on and with the big Barcelona puffy jacket. And uh, you just see, you can see his career just building there and how he learnt all his uh, formative things there at the Camp Nou and, and it just puts so much context the rivalry that we've seen today did either of you guys have a, a manager in your career who, who had that kind of influence over you like Sir Bobby seemed to have over his charges all across Europe um, well look I, I, I um, uh, was extremely fortunate to have worked under Terry Venables um, uh, at uh, club level and national team level and uh, um, I mean yeah what he's done in, in football uh, speaks for itself. Uh, managed some some big teams, Tottenham, uh, obviously Barcelona, um, the England national team, and uh, not only was Terry uh, one of the the best tactical coaches, um, and uh, you know it's something that all of my teammates uh, spoke about. But uh, as a person um, and the way he he dealt with people, not only uh, the players but also staff and and everyone you know in and around the club, um, you just felt this. Um, this real peace and and uh, uh, and everyone was always working for for the manager, which is not easy not easy to do um, in the modern environment. Yeah, the man management really sung out, and it was almost like he was a mentor to those guys who could also dish out tough love at the same time. Was there anyone that you know put their arm around you with that type of style of management during a career? Uh, yeah, you've had you have different ones, different personalities. Um, I guess probably one for me was Gus Hitting. Uh, you know, for me. He saw something in me at the time and that I needed and changed my career, I could say, at the, at the point of time. But on the other hand, if you talked about mayor management, if you spoke to some, some of my former teammates, they would say something completely different. You know, So it's, it comes down to individuals. But, but for me, him, if you talk about great, great managers over, over the years and, and the same, you look at his record as a coach, uh, it's pretty phenomenal and it's not like that for nothing. And so you've got to make those hard calls sometimes, which doesn't keep everyone happy. You mentioned Gorse. I've got to go back to Gorse just to pick your brains on that. When he pulled you, it was Bristol City at yeah, the time, yeah, was it? Yeah. And, and that man management. Did you feel 20 feet tall walking into that team just with his backing and, and, and you know you knew the faith that he had in you? Yeah, of course. I mean, you've you got a world-class manager coming in to take over the Socceroos, which I was always on the, the fringe of things. And I was lost at Bristol City at the time. I, I really was and, and in a bad spot. But getting into that camp that Arnie called in, there was like 30-odd players and he saw something in me, whatever he saw. And... And showed that face straight after that first camp and, and said I need to get out of Bristol and, and to play at a higher level. He looked at bringing me over to Holland even before 
the World Cup leading up to it, but that didn't eventuate. So, yeah, of course, when you, you've got someone who's been around that long and that sort of experience and, and coached at those sort of levels that he was, um, of course, it gives you a lot of confidence as a young kid and, and gave me a lot of belief and I guess I kicked on from there. And that stills you for when everyone in the world or everyone in Australia is going, what's hitting done with this selection for, the, say, the Japan game? You're just, you're just ready to rip in. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, everyone was, was saying, who's this kid? So, and there he had the obviously the, the confidence in me and and had instilled that within me as well to go out there and play. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. Paolo, I noticed that when you mentioned the big clubs that Venables was at, you didn't mention Leeds. That's fine. I'll let you get away with that. Um, but I, I just wonder, you were there. I think he brought you in to Leeds. Why did it go so wrong for Venables there? Oh, look, I just think it was the wrong time. Um, uh, at that moment or at that point, uh, um, it was the... Uh, it was like the for sale sign was up uh, at the training ground and I remember coming in every day and there was a, a, a different player um, uh, leaving the club, leaving the car park. Um, and I actually saw myself, Robbie Keane and Rio Ferdinand, driving out uh, consecutive days. And, uh, you know, they spent big. Uh, they dreamt of qualifying again for the Champions League, which unfortunately uh, didn't happen. And uh, when you uh, spend money that you don't have... Uh, you know, it can quickly go go wrong, and that's uh, why uh, Leeds United uh, have suffered for for so long. Um, but uh, uh, look, I don't think uh, it, it 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 results bad on on Terry that it didn't work out. I think everyone realised that uh, um, you know wrong wrong place, uh, wrong time for him. Brilliant stuff, amazing insight, guys. We're going to move on to one of our other segments that we go to each week. He said what? He said what indeed. And we're going to go to a talking point that we said we talk about Tottenham. I'm going to play you a grab from Mauricio Pochettino uh, leading into this uh, weekend after Spurs got bundled out of the League Cup and the FA Cup. But again, we are going to create a debate that is to win a trophy is going to help the club to, to be on the last level. Um, and I'm not agree with that. Only it's going to, to build your ego because uh, win a trophy of course after you can say oh you win a trophy but on the reality Tottenham is the most important is big always in the being consistent on the top four and playing Champions League that is the realistic thing for Tottenham and that is going to help the club does he need to win a trophy to be vindicated for his work there or is the context here different I think it's very different um, and I think that's uh um, I think we've seen that over the, the, the past uh, couple of years now with uh, the investment that Tottenham's uh, made in, in building a new stadium and we saw uh, the same thing or a similar thing happen with Arsenal where um, you know Wenger for so long didn't have money to spend like some of the other clubs but it was all about securing the future of the club, building a new stadium, moving away from, from Highbury uh, and I think that's... Uh, sort of the same situation that uh, Pochettino finds himself in now. And, and I think, sure, the fans uh, want to win a trophy, but, but right now, uh, given the size of the investment, the most important thing for Tottenham is to continue to, to be in that uh, top four uh, position. And, and that's exactly uh, where they are now, off the back of spending uh, you know, no money uh, bringing in, play, in new players. So Pochettino, for me, has done an incredible, amazing job. 
the game against Watford will change their position on the table either way if they can't resurrect that momentum. And then there's the Champions League, potentially, I'm not death riding Tottenham here, but they could be out of all four competitions within the space of three or four weeks, Rich. And you almost have the fans sitting going, what are we aiming for each season? But on the other hand, what Pochettino might look at and go, well, Louis van Gaal wins the FA Cup, sacked immediately. Antonio Conte wins the FA Cup, sacked immediately. Um, interesting enough, 80% of our Optus Sport punters voted on this across our social platforms, and they said he has to win a trophy. Well, from a fan's perspective, if you finish top four every single season from here to the end of time, but you don't win a trophy, what is the point? What's the point of following your team? Obviously, Tottenham are in a unique situation, similar to Arsenal, where, as Paolo says, and if in 15, 20 years' time that stadium turns out to be a great investment and they're winning titles and they're competing in Champions League semis and finals, brilliant. That'll be fantastic. But if they don't, and all I ever aim for between now and then is to finish in the top four, what's the point? You'd almost rather have a team that finishes mid-table every year in the Premier League but wins a trophy every half dozen years. I'd argue that's almost more fun because you'd have your days out at Wembley and you'd have that elation of the moment of lifting the trophy. Obviously, every club is completely different and where Tottenham are now, they're trying to establish themselves somewhere because financially, of course, £70 million or something it is to get into the final 16 of the Champions League. They're there this year, so they have to finish top four again. And with so many injuries, they can't afford to put out their strongest team in the FA Cup at Crystal Palace. But if we're having the same debate about Tottenham in 10 years, what's the point? Although, speaking of 10 years, I wonder what Portsmouth and Carter fans think. after They were, they made, they had their day in the rain at uh, Wembley, I think it was a decade ago, and where are they now? It's an interesting... Uh, Debate. This is what Olegana Solskjaer had to say before the game this morning. I'm not here to discuss what uh, Pochettino says and other managers say, but of course, it's all. First of all, is the next game. That's that's the thing. But we are about winning trophies. Of course, we are. We're still in the cup. Uh, we got to go for. Uh, we, we are going to try to to win the FA Cup. Of course, I think every manager wants to win every single game. Yeah. Look, I think I agree with Olegana Solskjaer there. But in saying that, Manchester United are in a different kind of boat to, to Tottenham in the fact that they are settled, they are stable financially. Um, so, of course, I, 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 think, I think anyone would agree. You want to win. Everyone wants to win every game. You want to win every cup. But I just feel with that when you touch back on Tottenham is that, that they need that top four financially and for the stability of the club. Um, and that brings in the revenue. Winning a cup is not going to bring in the kind of finances that the Champions League does for the club. Um, but yeah, look, if, you, if you're Manchester United, if you're a Chelsea, uh, it's a completely different situation. They want cups and they want as many as possible. I wonder if context is key. If Pochettino had a clean bill of health, all Harry Kane, Son available, um, was maybe a year along in this development, had players at, at his disposal, he might have argued something different. But in this particular moment right now, the extraordinary overachievement he continues to pull off. I kind of think he can buy himself one more year without a trophy, even though you know you would have loved to have jagged one of those two cup games for sure, for sure. Well, speaking of one player he did get back was Hong Seung Min because South Korea got bundled out of the Asian Cup early, as did our Socceroos. So we're going to touch on this really quickly now. Ray Rash. What was that? <laughs> I don't know, but... That's a little segue to talk about the Socceroos, who, of course, lost to United Arab Emirates in the Asian Cup. And United Arab Emirates went on to lose themselves. We have a final of Qatar versus Japan, as predicted by Xavi, the Spanish legend who picked seven of the eight quarterfinalists. It's quite remarkable. But to conclude our discussion on the Socceroos Asian Cup, as we've had over the last couple of weeks, Luke, you sat in that chair 
three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and said anything but a finals display from Australia was that was a pass mark. Yeah. So how do you assess it now? Look, I, I still stand by that. I think um, I think that was the bare minimum that was was expected, and and I think it it was disappointing. It was it was frustrating. It was disappointing, and and I think to to be bundled out by the UAE as we were. Um, I think yeah, you you look back. Everyone will look back on this Asia Cup and say, "Well, what was it? Was it, no one's going to remember this? It's it was just it just gone. It's flown by, and and everyone will just want to bury this as soon as possible." What, what now, Paul? Like what now for the Socceroos? We know they had injury problems, but how do they pick up from here with the World Cup qualification around the corner? Yeah, look, I, I think we're uh, uh, we're still in the same uh, position as as. Uh, uh, we were uh, um, some time ago, and that's the fact that uh, we're not scoring goals. Uh, we don't have someone um, like Tim Cahill uh, that's going to, um, I think, uh, you know, lead the line, and 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 you know, is is going to score goals. And uh, if you look at uh, uh, the results in the tournament um, from five games, uh, three of those games we we failed to find the back of the net. And Arnie spoke about it uh, pre-tournament, saying that. Uh, um, he does believe that we have the players to do that, and and and, and you know was quite confident that uh, that we were going to score goals. But uh, in the end, um, you know, I th- I think that was the reason you know why we uh, we didn't go further in the tournament because uh, when we did have the opportunities, and and uh, I'll be honest, that there weren't many. Um, but when we did have the opp- opportunities, we we failed to score. You've been privy to coaching. A lot of Generation Next over the last uh, five years or so, um, and a lot of people commented that the struggles that we were having at youth level were eventually going to catch up to us. Is this the moment that this is going to bite us? What is your biggest fear for the for the Socceroos in, in the short term, or are the injuries truly mitigating circumstances? Yeah, look, no doubt injuries did play a part. Um, you know, Aaron Moyes, uh, a very, very important player for, uh, for the national team, um, but I don't think... You know, that can be, uh, um, you know, the only reason as to why, um, you know, we got knocked out in, in the quarterfinals. And, uh, um, yeah, look, I'm not too sure uh, moving forward, uh, um, you know, there, there, there is the discussion now over, um, you know, how uh, the path to uh, to the next World Cup, uh, you know, how difficult that will be. But uh, um, I expect it to be no different to uh, to the last World Cup qualification. Um, it's going to be a, a long um, a long road to, to get there. It's going to be uh, once again, uh, you know, very very difficult. And uh, um, I think that's you know that's off the back of you know our youth development. Um, we're just not producing players um, for whatever reason. Because you can debate that for hours. Yeah, we, we, um, need, we need a few more hours for that. We need a few more hours but for that. We just don't have the quality um, coming through. Okay, on the spot, 2022 World Cup. We, we got through to the Honduras game by a, a Matt Ryan post against Syria. On the spot, are we, are we going to make the 2022 World Cup? You can't say no on what we've seen um, because not a whole heap has changed over the last couple of years. It's where we're going forward. There's not a whole heap to look forward to. I'd say it's a coin toss at this point. If it goes to 48 teams, some people might look at it and go, well, it's easier. You know, there are more spots. Asia gets a whole heap more, so happy days. I actually think if it goes to 48 teams, it's definitely not any easier because you look at the level of all these other nations that are coming up. Qatar, obviously, is an an obvious one. They'll be there regardless. UAE is another. But then you look at Thailand, Vietnam in this tournament. They show progression. They've come a long way. Their football, they have a, a... 
a structure, they have building blocks that make you think they have money, of course, to put to that stuff, but they're going in the right direction. So if they get a sniff of opportunities in a 48-team World Cup, they'll be hungry and they'll be willing to take that spot. I don't know whether it'll be any easier for us. I feel like it could even be a little bit harder. But as Paolo says, it'll be very different, very similar, I should say, to the last one. And you can't be overly confident that you'll just stroll through the qualifying group. We just do not have the players and do not have the setup at this point for that to be the case. Yeah, I remember, Luke, in your era, watching it as a, as a fan or then a, a journalist, that if we had a Jordan, if we had a Saudi Arabia, UAE, even a Southeast Asia game, you just knew that there was enough in the tank no matter what club challenges you'd had at the same time, that you would jag your, your three or four points or your six points away from home to, to make it secure. But you just wonder whether this group's... We've seen in the Asian Cup, Jordan, Syria, uh, UAE. We've seen Vietnam knock Jordan off, etc. etc. Uzbekistan. We've got a long slog. We do, we do. It's not easy. And and people look at these games and and in the past, I know everyone was expecting to go there and whitewash them 3-0 or 4-0. And that's not the case, especially when you go away from home and you've got a a few days turnaround. And the thing is, back then, we had that belief. We knew we we could get the result, whether it was ugly. However it was, we knew we could get the result and we had the the drive and the desire to do that. And that's what sometimes, when when I look at it now, and I I wonder if they've got that little bit of extra drive and desire to get the result. You know, even if it's an ugly 1-0 win, to get the result and to get the points and off you go. And belief? And belief, you got to. And, And I think... You know, you, you look at it and it's almost like you look at them going into games and you, they're, they're also wondering, well, how are we going to score today? You know, where they've really got that belief that they're going to go out there and score goals and win games. Interesting stuff. And we will uh, we could talk for hours on it and, and, and another opportunity would. Quick one. Hibs rumours for Graham Arnold. If, there, if there's anything in that, um, are you sticking around for the Socceroos posts and to prove that you can, you can actually, you know, guide them to the World Cup or are you going for the club challenge? No, not for me, mate. Um Look, it's a bit surprising, um, given the fact that uh, um, yeah, well, look, Arnie's committed to uh, to the national team for the next four years. Uh, I would just wonder whether or not uh, that's all come about because of uh, a couple of Australians uh, Australians playing uh, at Hibs. Um, but uh, um, I think he'll uh, he'll uh, he'll stick around. We'll see. We'll see what bubbles on in the next few days. All right. To finish off, it's time for Would You Rather. And would you rather be a young English player in the Premier League or a young English player in the Bundesliga? I'd rather be a young Russian player in the Russian League. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? I love Moscow. <laughs> what about if you're Callum Hudson-Odoi? Do you look at Jaden Sancho and go, bucket load of assists, another two for table-topping Borussia Dortmund on the weekend and go, well, I could be the next Phil Foden or I could be the next Yadon Sancho. Well, how many young English players are absolutely flying in the Premier League? You look at someone like Raheem Sterling, who's arguably the best young English player, and he's not exactly enjoying everything about being a professional footballer at the moment, is he? I think it's a tough life. I think you look at Sancho, Nelson, I think there are others that you can sort of pinpoint and go, okay, there's a pathway here to playing somewhere where the pressure's off somewhat and still be in a a big club. Bayern Munich picking up someone that Chelsea arguably don't want that much is crazy Crazy, to think about. Crazy. For Hudson-Odoi, why wouldn't you? I mean, you'd like to go there with some assurances that you would actually play. You know, if he doesn't have those, then it's kind of just trading one sort of bench for another. But uh, definitely go to the continent if you can. Yeah, ear apparent to Ian uh, Yorban and Frank Ribery. They're getting no younger at all. And you, they love to play with their wide players. Great opportunity for him. Um, Sancho, by the way, six goals, nine assists. Keeps on giving phenomenal stuff. Would you rather be or would you rather have 
Gerard Piquet as head of Davis Cup or Leighton Hewitt as head of the Champions League? And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the Spanish football star is the head of a consortium who's revamped the Davis Cup and it's coming in effect in 2020. It's an 18-team tournament played over one week at one venue and best of three sets, not best of five sets. And uh, Roger Federer, amongst others, has come out and questioned Gerard Piquet's, uh, I guess, his feel for the game, calling it turning tennis into football. So... Do you rather have Jared Piquet in charge or Leighton Hewitt in charge? Yeah, look, it's 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 crazy that one. Um, I, I, look, to be honest, I think this is all about money, um, because Davis Cup, uh, you know, for so many years or for the history of it, it's it's all about the tradition, um, and this is going completely the other way, uh, because it's all all over and dusted in, I don't know, in a short period, mm. whereas Davis Cup is is over a, a, a longer period, so. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what expertise PK has in uh, in tennis, but uh, for me, this this sort of points towards uh, someone's uh, filling their pockets with a lot of money. Oh, money in sport! Come on, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea for a tournament. If it was a brand new one, you'd say, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool." Spend a week wherever and watch some high quality tennis. But if you're a tennis purist, and I don't mind it, you'd hate this. It's like someone coming in, as we've seen, and saying they want to get rid of the Champions League as we know it and just get the top twenty big clubs in Europe put them away and have their own league every year. It's someone coming in that doesn't understand the, the fabric, if you like, of uh, the history of these tournaments. It's good in its own right, but it's, as you say, it's a weird one. Yeah, absolutely. And to quote a purist, to quote Roger Federer, it's a bit odd to see a footballer arrive and meddle in the tennis business. Be careful. The Davis Cup should not become the PK Cup. So Leighton Hewitt v. Gerard Piquet is not one I would have ever thought we'd get on a football podcast or the Gagan Pub at Game pod at any time. Gentlemen, we've flown through it. We've run out of time once again, but thank you very much for joining us and having a chat through things. Thanks for coming in this morning, Luke, and keeping us company during the live games. Thanks. Enjoy it as always. Yeah, you've got the six screens up at once, which we get the pleasure of here at Off the Sport, which is absolutely fantastic. Remember, Thursday morning, a glut of games, and then we're back again over the weekend for another bumper set of fixtures on Off the Sport. And as ever, enjoy your football. 